This is God's Word, Mark chapter 15, starting reading at verse 15. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them. And he delivered Jesus, after he had been scourged, to be crucified. Then the soldiers led him away to the hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole garrison, and they clothed him with purple, and they twisted a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews! Then they struck him on the head with a reed, and spat on him, and bowing the knee, they worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took the purple off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him. Then they compelled a certain man, uh, Simon, a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. And they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. Then they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. Now it was the third hour and they crucified him. And the inscription of his accusation was written above the king of the Jews. With him, they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And those who passed by blasphemed him wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking among themselves with the scribes said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him reviled him. Amen. We'll end our reading there at the end of verse 32. Before we come to think of these verses together, let's commit our time to God. Let's pray. Our gracious God, these are not easy scenes to think about. They're not easy scenes to read about or to hear about. And yet they are at the very centre of our Christian faith. We pray that you would help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to understand what we are hearing from your word. And that we might see even in these horrendous scenes the beauty of the cross of Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, we're coming to the end of our studies in Mark's Gospel. And we've spent altogether nearly a full year uh, looking at this book 
But you'll know that even though it's taken quite a long time, this is a, a fast-paced account of the life of Jesus. It's been a race to the end, a race to the point that we've now come to. Mark has been racing to get us to the cross so that we can understand the, the mission and the purpose of Jesus coming into the world. Mark has shown us who Jesus is. He's told us what Jesus taught. And we've been challenged to believe in Jesus and to follow him. In Jesus, in chapter 8, Jesus himself, in verse 34, said, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We've been challenged with that throughout. But it's not until now that we really understand what it means. Mark has been in in such a hurry to get us here so that we understand the cross. The reformer Martin Luther was fond of saying the cross interprets everything. Everything. It's only when we understand the cross of Christ that we can begin to understand all the other aspects of our Christian faith. The word crucial literally means cross-shaped. And so we can see here in our passage today, and we'll see it again next week, how crucial the cross is for what we believe. We're going to be thinking deeply about what's going on in the death of Jesus. I hope that we will be both challenged and comforted as we seek to live out our lives as followers of Jesus, denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following him. It is in God's providence that we come to these verses today, that the country is celebrating the platinum jubilee of Queen Elizabeth II in these next couple of weeks. And in God's providence, We learn today from the plaque that was placed above the head of Jesus. A plaque meant for sarcasm and mockery, but entirely true and appropriate. Jesus is King of the Jews. In our passage today, we see that Jesus is a King like no other. People will celebrate Queen Elizabeth in the coming weeks. But far from being celebrated, we see here that Jesus is a king who died upon the cross. I want to point out three things from our passage that make Jesus a king like no other. The first is that a king wears a crown. Well, Jesus' crown is made of thorns. The second is that a king receives praise from his people, whereas Jesus is mocked. And ridiculed. And then finally, what we see in Jesus that we don't always see in leaders in this world is that a king does what is best for his people. For Jesus, that means he doesn't save himself, he remains on the cross so that his people can be saved. First of all, I want us to note that a king wears a crown. This encapsulates, I think, everything that's going on in the scene with the Roman guards, verses 16 through to verse 20. 
In a fulfilment of Psalm 22, Jesus is surrounded by soldiers. He's attacked from all sides. They remove his clothes and instead place on him some sort of purple clothing. They're giving him the costume of a king. But this is not dress up. This is not like the boys and girls do. This is designed to humiliate Jesus as he's led to the cross. They pretend he is a king, but there's no way they believe it to be the case. You can see what it says in our passage. They, they spit on him. They beat him. But I want us to take particular note of the crown. Boys and girls, you all know that kings and queens wear crowns. Some of you might have been making a crown this week to celebrate the Queen's Jubilee. Well, here the Roman guards make a crown. They're seeking to mock and to make fun of Jesus. And so they take some briars and they twist them together to make a crown of thorns. And then they press it down onto the head of Jesus. Such pain. I'm sure none of us here want to imagine the the pain of thorns being driven into our heads. But it's important that we know that Jesus went through physical agony. He was a man. He he is a man. He, He would have felt the pain every bit as much as you or I. Kings wear a crown to, to show us who they are. But far from being a, a crown of glory, displaying majesty and grandeur, the crown on Jesus' head was yet another instrument of torture, specifically designed to bring pain and suffering, to draw blood from the brow of our Lord. I want you to know something else. This is really helpful for us to know why the crown is so important. I want you to think back in your minds to the Garden of Eden. This perfect paradise God had created to dwell with his people. A place where trees and flowers grew effortlessly. A place where gardening was not a chore because there were no weeds. But then the serpent crept in. The serpent took over, tempted Eve, Eve gave in. Rather than crushing the serpent, which is what he was supposed to do, Adam joined Eve in the sin of eating of the tree that God had told them not to eat. So if you can think back, think back to the curses that God placed on the earth. Because of the sin of Adam and Eve. I want to read a few verses from Genesis 13. Just verse 17 and 18. God is speaking to Adam. He says, Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. Now, all of the gardeners and farmers listening know the difficulty that thorns and thistles make as you work the land. But notice today the connection with the crown that Jesus wore as he went to the cross. The thorns that are on Jesus' head, that are digging into his flesh, causing him pain, those thorns are a direct result of the sin of Adam and Eve. 
And so we can genuinely and literally say that Jesus bore the sin of humanity to the cross. He's a king like no other king. His crown is made of thorns, taking the result of sin upon himself, feeling the pain in his own flesh. Friends, Jesus never sinned. He never sinned, not once. But as he went to the cross, he literally took the pain of sin upon himself so that he could die for it. Isaiah records for us in in a stunningly accurate depiction of the cross some 600 years previous. Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought our peace was upon him. By his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Our sin causes pain and hurt and harm. But on the cross... Jesus absorbed all of that. He he carried our sin so that we can be forgiven. The great truth of the gospel proclaims that he was bruised for our iniquities. By his stripes, we are healed. Our king, Jesus, wears a crown of thorns. And his crown displays greater glory than gold or silver or gemstones. Because in the crown of thorns, we are assured that Jesus carries the curse of sin upon himself so that our sin can be forgiven. We can have the curse of our sin removed. We can be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. This crown of thorns, a a cruel instrument of torture, just like the cross, becomes a symbol of beauty. Because through it, we are made right in the eyes of a holy and righteous God. Well, tied up with the crown is the mockery that Jesus is subjected to. And we see that he is a king like no other because... A king receives praise from his people, but Jesus is mocked and ridiculed. Isn't praise what we expect to be given to a king or queen? Again, I'm sure that lots of praise will be ascribed to Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth over the next couple of weeks. Praise for her long reign. Praise for her calm demeanour. Praise for her personality praise for the way she has ruled over us. There will rightly be praise for the Queen on the occasion of her Platinum Jubilee. And I'm sure she will receive it with due humility. Can you imagine our Queen being scourged and beaten? Can you imagine the Queen being spat upon and mocked to her face? In a moment whenever she is most vulnerable and most weak, people reviling her and beating her. 
Well, that's exactly what we read about here, isn't it? We read about it being done to the king of kings. The king over Queen Elizabeth. The scourging spoken about back in verse 15 is a process where a braided whip with pieces of bone and metal stuck in the braids is used. Jesus would have been tied up and whipped until the flesh had torn from his back. Until his body was too bloody and too tired to stand up any longer. The shame and scorn that is poured out on Jesus is both physically and verbally throughout this passage. Jesus is spit on. He's made fun of by the Roman guards. Their sarcasm in bowing the knee and worshipping him is particularly blasphemous. That's something we should be wary of in our own lives. When we worship God, we need to do it with sincere and reverent hearts, being careful not to mock our Lord. When the soldiers try and make him carry the crossbeam for his crucifixion, he's too tired to carry it and a man named Simon is drafted in to help. We'll say more about Simon in a moment. But the humiliation of Christ doesn't end with the Roman soldiers. Even as Jesus is hanging on the cross, he is mocked by the crowd, by the temple officials, the chief priests and the scribes, even the criminals that he's hung between. All people were gathered together under the cross to blaspheme and revile the king of glory. Jesus was lowered to the very lowest of the low. That's what we read in Philippians 2. Jesus came from the highest of heights to the deepest of depths. He's been brought as low as it is possible for any human being to be brought. The hands that flung stars into space, surrendering to cruel nails. The king of kings being mocked as a piece of dirt. We shouldn't sanitize this scene. This is the cost of your sin and mine. Blood and spit, pain, shame, suffering, all interwoven and thrown upon the God of the universe. But I think we need to ask, why do we need to know all of this? Why are these passages so explicit in the New Testament? I think the common reaction is that we feel sorry for Jesus. We look upon him with pity. But that misses the point. The point is that Jesus was brought to the lowest of lows under the curse of sin, enduring the wrath of God and bearing our shame and pain in order that our sins might be atoned for, removed from us, forgiven. Jesus suffered all that he suffered precisely because that is what sin deserves. He went through it so that we don't have to. This should lead to two responses in our hearts. The first response is gratitude. In the same way that if somebody paid a parking ticket for you, you would feel grateful. So we should feel infinite gratitude to Christ because he has paid an infinite debt. 
The scorn and shame that he bore rightly belongs to us, but he took it on our behalf. So we should want to live lives of humble service and gratefulness to our Saviour. The second response we should have is one of confidence. Confidence and courage as we face the trials and tribulations of this life. We all have difficulties to face. We all hate the thought that we're being mocked, being ridiculed, being spoken about behind our backs. We all hate to be made to feel shame or or be made to feel small. Just look at what Jesus endured. He went through all of that and much worse. So take heart that Christ knows. He understands. He empathizes with you. He feels your pain. He knows your shame. And so he will give you the strength and the courage not to yield to discouragement and despair. I want to point you to the one person in our passage who does follow Jesus. Who takes those words, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Very literally. A man introduced to us in verse 21, Simon, a Cyrenian. He was the father of Alexander and Rufus. Now, Rufus is a name that is also mentioned as part of the Roman church by Paul at the end of his letter to the Romans. So this is another reason to believe that Mark's gospel was written for Christians in Rome. They most likely knew Alexander and Rufus personally. Mark mentions their father in this passage, and it's clear that he is an example of a Christian disciple. He literally lifts the cross and follows Jesus. We're told the Romans compelled him, but it's clear from the mention of his name and his name, his son's names, this man is an influential character in the early church. So Simon stands as a challenge for us all. Are we those who join with the crowd, heaping insults and mockery upon Christ? Or do we embrace the suffering that comes through following him? Even sharing in his sufferings. Isn't that what Simon did? And so have confidence to stand against anything this world can throw at us. All the trials and troubles we face in this life. When we face troubles in this world, and you will face them. Remember that Jesus knows. He understands He faced much worse as he went to the cross for your sin. I don't want to sound trite. I don't want to sound glib. But think about the words of that hymn we often sing. What a friend we have in Jesus. Have we trials and temptations? Do your friends despise and forsake you? Take it to the Lord in prayer. Jesus knows our every weakness. In his arms he'll take and shield you. You will find a solace there. Let's move to our final point for today. Very quickly. A king does what is best for his people. For Jesus, this means he doesn't save himself. Instead, he remains on the cross so that his people can be saved. Now, I I don't want to make too much out of this, and it's not my job to be political. 
But throughout COVID, haven't we seen plenty of politicians act as if there's one rule for them and one rule for others? It's become clear that our rulers in government are not hugely interested in the welfare of people. Their priorities seem to be what they want, their desires. Well, for King Jesus, it is true that there's one rule for him and a different rule for everyone else. But with Jesus, that means death for him and life for all his people. I've not pointed it out too often in our studies in Mark, but you might have noticed that Mark's gospel is filled with irony. And you can go back and read uh, passages today and see if you can pick up on some of the irony. As Jesus hangs on the cross, we have a, a big irony. Some of the mockery that Jesus has to endure comes from the passers-by and the chief priests and the scribes. You can read it in verses 29 to 31. The passers-by make a comment about Jesus rebuilding the temple. And the religious officials say he saved others himself. He cannot save. Do you see the irony? It is through the cross that Jesus is actually acting to save others. If he were to come down from the cross and save himself, it would mean that others, you and me, we wouldn't be saved. It wasn't weakness or frailty that kept Jesus on the cross. It was love and mercy and grace towards his people. The scribes thought that if Jesus was really God incarnate, he would be able to come down from the cross and save himself. But it's precisely because he is God incarnate that he remained on the cross, even to the point of death, so that his people could be saved. The religious leaders say in verse 32, let the Christ The king of Israel descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. I hope you realise today that the fact he remained on the cross is something for you to see and a reason for you to believe. Jesus is a king who left the glories of heaven, who was made low, lower than low, the lowest of the low. And he did it for us. He gave his life so that we might live. He could have been saved from the cross. He he could have commanded legions of angels to lift him from that death sentence. Jesus is the God of all things. He could have saved himself. Instead, he willingly remained on the cross to the point of death so that you and I could be saved. Let us together Accept so great a salvation. Let us bow the knee in humble and true worship. Let us take up our cross and follow him. I'm going to pray for us now. Let's pray.